If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For all you foodies out there, I'm unwrapping a McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel. Ooh, look at this steak. And the juice running down the side. Got a little bit on the wrapper here. Mmm. And then the fluffy egg. And real cheese folded over the side, looking just so good. Mmm, mmm, grilled onions and a butter bagel, too. Thumbs up for McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel for breakfast. Love it. Mmm, I participate in McDonald's. Mark Halperin is around here known best as the co-author of Game Change and Double Down with uh, John Heileman. Uh, he's been a former senior political analyst for MSNBC. He co-hosted uh, the zoo, the uh, the gymnastics event, the, uh, circus, the circus, the circus, uh, which was great politics show as well. Uh, I kid. Um, and is a clear eyed and clear headed thinker and write about writer about politics. Because four hours simply isn't enough. This is Armstrong and Getty Extra Large. And Mark Halpern joins us now. Hey, Mark, uh, welcome to the show. We look forward to talking to you. And I got to tell you, from uh, from my standpoint, I'm really glad to have you back on the scene talking politics. A missed voice, in my opinion. Very nice. I appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, yeah. The feeling goes for both of us. Long, long enjoyed your work. Um, I, there are so many different directions I could take this. And obviously, we want to take talk about the book, How to Beat Trump. But just your expertise in all this. And something sticks out in my mind. Going back to 2016, you criticized it at the time. You criticized it afterwards. Uh, outlets, particularly the New York Times, predicting who could win by how much and whether or not that was the role of journalism. I mean, I think Donald Trump has done a lot of things that are rightly criticized, but I think the American media has largely failed to rise to the moment of covering this president. Uh, a lot of the media uh, acts, uh, says things that the Democratic National Committee wouldn't say in in going after the president. I, I've just never thought that was the role of the, of the press. The role of the press is to inform the public, tell people what's being said. It's not a matter of false equivalency. It's a matter of safeguarding the public interest. I think the most ironic thing about all this is 
the press helped Trump get elected the first time. And even though a lot of people in the media would like to see Donald Trump not be reelected, as I write about in the book, uh, so much of the coverage is going to is helping him because it's leaving the impression if you're a viewer of CNN or a reader of MSNBC or a, a reader of The New York Times, you get the impression that Trump can't possibly win. When, in fact, most of the Democratic strategists I talk to, who are very smart people who've got a lot of experience, say Trump is the favorite to get reelected. And the press is, is helping him by leaving the impression he can't possibly win, just like they did four years ago. Well, and it, it, I think it goes beyond that. I was reading one of the lead articles about the recent impeachment hearing uh, in The New York Times, and it was so clearly it was so soaked in editorial that I think a lot of the. Uh, most respective voices in American journalism have absolutely given up on the idea of I am going to maintain a relationship with moderates or moderate Trump supporters or those of us who hold our nose and like the judges or whatever. Um, I, I think they've given that away. You just anybody who has any affinity for Trump whatsoever, even nose holding affinity, can't stand a lot of the coverage. Well, look, the, the, the conservatives in this country, I've, I've said from the beginning of my career, about half the country thinks the press is completely liberally biased and they've got a lot of data they can point to. I used to say to my friends in the media, even if you don't think you're liberally biased, you need to understand that half the country thinks you are. And you should look in the mirror and say, well, why do they think that? Are they making it up or do they have reason to think it? Think it? One of the things I write about in the book that I think that I think speaks to the question you just asked is, you have to appreciate the fact that almost half the country voted for Donald Trump, that the consultants I talked to, the strategists I talked to, think he's the favorite to be reelected in part because he's an incumbent. And you have to understand those people. Those people who voted for Donald Trump, many of them did, holding their nose to some extent, but they thought that the country was going in the wrong direction. They didn't want another career politician. And as you said, so much of the coverage of impeachment, of, of, of Donald Trump in general, is colored by a disdain for his supporters, a disdain for him. But again, I just don't think it's the role for journalists, particularly disdain for Americans, uh, almost half the country who still support him. Our job is to explain not just who they are, but what they care about, why they feel the way they do, and not look down our noses at them. And I think I think it's just, like I said, it's, it's helping Donald Trump. Absolutely. And, and Absolutely. I mean, I want to get to the particulars of why you and strategists think Trump's going to be hard to beat, but... Well, you're just saying, how does the media not get that they're helping him? They loathe the guy, but the way they approach it, many times I've been fed up with Trump where I've thought that the nation would be better off with someone else. This is just, And then either Bill Maher will say something, and, you know, nobody can control what uh, comedians do, but whether it's Bill Maher or the Washington Post, and I just think, fuck you guys. Yeah. I'm voting for Trump just because I hate y'all. I mean, and, that's, yeah, and, that, and that happens. And that, that is that is that is a that is a sentiment that I hear whenever I talk to people who who supported the president four years ago. There's almost no one who supported the president outside his family who couldn't list a bunch of things they don't like about what he does. But when it comes down to a choice between Donald Trump and the Democrats, and when they and they they're subjected to a daily drumbeat of media coverage which is hostile not just to the president but to his supporters, what do you expect is going to happen? People are going to say, you know what, the press doesn't want me to do this again. I'm going to do it again. And that I, I don't know why the, the media doesn't see that um, they're running they're running their lives in a way that is counter to what they want more than anything else, which is to get Donald Trump out of the White House, which is really interesting. Yeah, it is. Although you know, this is certainly uh, not under discussed, but I think it's underappreciated. We're based out of Northern California, and the the ideological bubble phenomenon, where you willingly surround yourself only with people who agree with you. 
um, as opposed to, you know, back when we were growing up where you might be dimly aware of somebody's politics, but it's unlikely to come up. So you just you always brush up against different opinions and ideologies just because you you don't particularly care. Um, The ideological bubble thing is absolutely deadly. You just are never cross-examined in your beliefs. But again, you know, that's certainly been discussed. So so you talk to strategists. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, one of the reasons that I was one of the few national reporters who said Trump could win four years ago is because I covered Trump rallies in over 25 states. And I didn't just stand in the press area and listen to his speech and make fun of the way he talked. I talked to the people who were there. And I asked them why they were there, why they supported him. And I looked at how big the crowds were, and then I went to Hillary Clinton events, and I did the same thing. And if you did that, it was easy to see that, of course, Donald Trump could win because he had enthusiasm. And as I write in the book, he was leading a movement. A lot of liberals in the press mock that and say, oh, it's not a movement. It was a movement. It was a movement that Trump didn't create. It's a movement that he saw and took charge of and, 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 and used to get elected. Hillary Clinton did not lead a movement. And, and that made the difference. And, and the same thing could happen in this election. And you talk to a whole bunch of strategists, Republicans and Democrats, people who've run campaigns, some of the smartest people in the country on this stuff, and they believe he can win. And, and why is that? Most of them think he's an overwhelming favorite. Some of them were downright despondent on the Democratic side. First of all, you go to the, the question of incumbency. Since 1900, four elected incumbents have lost their bids for reelection. It's hard to beat any incumbent. And We've had three straight two-term presidents, first time since the founding of the republic that's happened, Clinton, Bush, Obama. All of them learned from the previous guy. How do you use the benefits of incumbency? And as we know, Donald Trump will use every, every trick in the book. This guy does not want to lose. So incumbents always leverage the office. Trump will leverage the office. And finally, Trump is a beast of a candidate. You know, again, you can, you can say he's, he's, got, he's shallow. You can say he doesn't always tell the truth. A lot of negative things about Donald Trump, but he is a beast of a candidate. He does not want to lose, and he's going up a Democratic against. The, he'll end up going up against a Democrat who's not going to have the same amount of money as Donald Trump, who's not going to have the same experience running nationally as Donald Trump, and is not going to have the leverage of, of incumbency the way Trump does. So he's got a ton of advantages, and that doesn't even get to the question of the fact that the Democratic candidates have gone so far to the left that that's going to make it more more possible for Donald Trump to get. Uh, votes in the center, which a lot of people thought he couldn't possibly do. Follow up a little more on the, him being a beast of a candidate, whether, you know, at, at the podium at a rally or on the debate stage. He's, he's interesting. You know, even people who hate him follow him on Twitter, watch his rallies, talk about him all the time. One of the people I've interviewed for the book said Trump doesn't dominate the news. Trump is the news. If you want to try to run against him, you need to figure out how to play alongside of him in his space, but don't have the illusion that you're going to do something to, to, to be part of the news. Trump was a television producer. Trump, Trump is the most successful person in politics in the history of Twitter. He understands how to communicate with real people, talk like a real person, think like a real person. He's like Frank Sinatra. He's like, he's like Johnny Carson. He has the capacity to communicate with people in a way that they find entertaining, even if they don't like him. And you look at these Democrats, and, and one of the people I interviewed for the book said, our candidates are, they, 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 were all, they all took debate class in high school. We need a theater major. We need somebody who understands how to, how to communicate, how to talk from the heart. Trump does that. Like him or not, these Democratic strategists said he knows how to win. Last time it was Corey Lewandowski, Donald Trump, and a Twitter account. This time it's Donald Trump, Air Force One, 
and maybe close to $2 billion. So you harness up a real campaign to a candidate who I think, after Bill Clinton, is the second most impressive political athlete I've ever covered. Wow. And That's a statement. I've said it before, and I got heat for it. But look, I think I think it's I think it's 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 uh, since people like to use Latin these days. I think it's prima facie true. He won the Republican nomination and the presidency. He had no business winning either. This is a guy who was a Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer donor, a guy who was pro-choice, a guy who had never run for anything. First time out, he runs and wins. I just think, of course, he's a great political athlete. Barack Obama is great as a great politician too, but he he had been touted as a, as a president since he'd been in Harvard Law School. He had David Axelrod, David Plouffe. He raised a ton of money. He had a real infrastructure, people counting delegates. He had lots of help. Donald Trump did it pretty much all by himself, and now he's got all those same skills with the benefits of incumbency and a big big. Death star for presidential campaign. So one of the ways we amuse ourselves, primarily off the air, but sometimes on, is we'll speculate about what the uh, a debate would look like. And I realize we're getting way ahead of the book because it kind of moves chronologically. But um, uh, on the debate stage, as Trump does what Trump does, I, I don't know. I mean, Bernie could certainly match him for bluster. Uh, we we just we picture <clears throat> Joe Biden having that moment he had in one of the debates recently, where Joe Biden goes off on a Venezuelan record players, you know, have one of his moments, right. and Trump just turning to the audience and saying, "What the hell was that?" He'll go in for the kill, <laughs> and people yeah. laughing I mean, it, and it, it, yeah. Look, it's instructive again to look at four years ago. A lot of the Democrats I talked to for the book said after every debate, we said Hillary won, and we slapped ourselves on the back and said, you know, Trump's losing the election right here in these debates. After Trump won, a lot of them went back and looked at the three debates, as I did for the book. And you see, again, he was a strong debater for speaking to real people. He, 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 he had an unusual style. He, was often, he often looked angry. Um, he often went on tangents. He often didn't answer the question that was asked. But in terms of gut communication, he was, he was effective. And, and what a lot of people I interviewed said was Hillary was too passive. She, she basically thought she had the thing in the bag. She thought, let Trump talk and, and show off his, his negative sides and people will turn against him. All of them said, you got to be much more aggressive this time. So these are strategists who are worried about Trump winning. But the, the, the point of the book is not an attack on Donald Trump. It's, it's my reporting of what these Democrats say must be done if Democrats are going to have a chance to win. So it's not an anti-Trump book or a pro-Trump book. It's a book that says, what do smart Democrats think they need to be done? And, and in terms of the debate, a lot of them share the view you guys have, which is, not very many of these Democrats are easy to envision standing on that stage with Trump and and obviously winning the debate. Do you get do you do you play at his level? I mean, if he if he says on the stage you ought to be in jail or you're a liar or whatever, yeah. do you do you get down to that level? Or do you try to be above it? I mean, what do most strategists yeah. think is the best way to do it? Yeah, I mean that's one of the big questions that people were grappling with after after what Hillary Clinton went through. I mean, it's basically somewhere in between. You can't let him get away with stuff they say, but you can't play at his level because, as one of them said, Trump is the master at the level he plays on. You're not. No one's going to walk in and do this. You know, most of the people running have run before a lot. You know, they've been career politicians and they know how to run a normal race. They don't know how to run this race. So what all these all these people said is not just in the debates, but in the campaign in general, you have to not play Trump's game. You have to figure out the game you're going to play. But you have to engage with him. You can't just let him gallop off and do what he does. So it's somewhere in between. Engage a little bit, but then try to pivot to talk about what you want to talk about on the level you want to talk about it.
Just as an aside, it occurs to me, I ought to sell my services as a Trump stand-in for debate training. <laughs> um, I mean, because I tell you what, it, you had better be steeled to that sort of thing on a debate stage. I mean, because if you think, oh, I'll handle it, I'll think on my feet, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with it. I just, uh, it would be a rare, rare uh, brain <laughs> that could deal with that. But, yeah, I mean, because as you, they've never dealt with anything like it. And what, what the consultants I talked to said was, you can't wait for the debates to start engaging with them. And a lot of them, uh, you know, since the book was published and, 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 and the campaign's gone forward, a lot of them say they're all making a mistake now. They're thinking just about running against the other Democrats. They say, you've got to start practicing about what it's like to go up against Trump. You look at Elizabeth Warren when she went up against Trump on the Pocahontas stuff, killed her. It killed her, and it and 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 it, it set an example for a lot of Democrats to say, "Not that's not how you shouldn't be trying to engage with Trump. You got to engage with him, and you got to and you got to win, and you got to show that you can do it, and you got to practice. Because if you wait till September of next year when you're on the debate stage with him, you know it may be too, it'll be too late." And I'll say one more thing: a lot of the people I talked to for the book said it's possible Trump won't debate. You know, there's nothing in the law that says he has to, and if he thinks he's better off not debating, he may just say, "I'm skipping him." Oh, I don't know that he would turn down that sort of this super TV extravaganza. I'm not sure yeah, if it, yeah. this, people could talk him out of it. Here's what he could do, though. He, you know, the debates for the last many years have been run by this group, the Commission on Presidential Debates. Trump hates the Commission on Presidential Debates. He thinks that he, they screwed him last time. Trump could basically say, you know what? I'm the president. I'm hosting the debate. I'll show up in debate. Sean Hannity will be the moderator. You're welcome to come. <laughs> That's fantastic. I got a question straight out of the book I want to hit you with, but I've been wondering this, and since you've, you know, you've been on the ground in Iowa and New Hampshire and followed all this sort of stuff, does any precedent matter for anything anymore? Is there any point in looking at, you know, historical trends or is just everything new? Lots is new, but I'll tell you, Iowa, New Hampshire, every four years, people say, well, how can they be as influential as they were in the past? That's so anachronistic. They're, they're lily white states. They don't have big cities. Iowa, New Hampshire are shaping up to be super influential for the Democrats. So that's something that stayed the same. And I think I think another thing's the same is you got to have a message. you got to have a story to tell, uh, as, as I say in the book, an American story. And if you're going to beat Trump, you got to have an American story that's better than Trump's story about how you're going to how the country will be under your under your presidency. If you beat Trump, what will America be like? That hasn't changed. So a lot is different. Social media, you know, first and foremost, and the partisanship, there's a lot that's different. But there are some bedrock things that are the same, and those those two are pretty key. You know, putting I can't get past what you said, Trump. That's so great. It's Tuesday night, eight o'clock, Madison Square Garden. Hannity's the moderator. If you want to debate, that's where I am. The room, the room is booked. I, I'll pay for your stool. You're welcome to come and sit and debate me. But that's that's what we're doing. And 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 again, if you're the Democrat, what do you do? You either say I got no debate, or I, I play on Trump's terms. So putting aside Joe Biden's uh, limitations as a candidate. Um, the whole end of the chaos, uh, fatherly, steady, um, mature feel of his candidacy, I think is really good. I think he's a terrible candidate, and and I I don't think he'll do. I don't think he'll get the nomination. But what did your analysts think about that feel? Just understanding that even Trump supporters are getting a little stressed out and getting Trump uh- fatigue. A minority of the people I interviewed, a small minority, agreed with you. Okay. Most of them said that's basically what Hillary Clinton did last time. Remember, a lot of her advertisements were 
uh, you know, uh, kids watching Trump say outrageous things on television and parents being alarmed at the example he'd set. That's how she ran. Yeah, but she's cr- she was a crappy candidate. Well, but but I mean, if you look at her weaknesses, a lot of the same things are true of Biden. She'd been around forever. Uh, people people didn't you know didn't see what their message was, uh, and just saying I'm different than Trump wasn't good enough for her. I don't think mm-hmm. it'll be good enough for Biden if he's the nominee. What the majority of them said was the winning message is issues and and how Trump's policies are affecting people. And you're starting to see some of the outside groups that are trying to help the candidates do this, which is go to Wisconsin, go to Michigan, go to Pennsylvania, find real people who have stories to tell about how Trump's policy, who voted for Trump last time, who say his policies haven't worked for them. Find a farmer who did the tariffs. Find a man, someone who worked in manufacturing who said, you know, I've, I've been found a job in manufacturing after Trump got elected and make those real people not a sideshow, but central to the campaign. That's that's what the vast majority of, of the strategists I talked to said will be required to beat him. You can't beat him by saying the guy is outrageous. The guy is on Twitter all the time. He he, he told us what he was when he ran the first time. There's not there's almost nothing Trump's done as president that people consider outrageous that wasn't on offer when he was Trump the candidate. None of this is a surprise to people. So they most of the people say I talked to said. Don't think you can beat him with this Biden message of restore sanity, restore the America the way it was before. Because you know what? We're still in a post-Brexit world. There are still a lot of Americans who don't want to go back to the way it was before. They still want change. They don't like the way Trump's doing it in every way. But if it's Trump against someone who's for the status quo, a lot of the people I talked to said that that's not a winning message. Wow. You mentioned uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. And from reading the book, and I, I've heard you speak on this uh uh, talking to other people about the book, you feel like candidates are already behind Trump in those battleground states, and it's going to be hard to catch up. Why? This is one of the biggest worries of people I talked to said. They said if, if, if the candidates uh, only think about winning the Democratic nomination, and even if they win the nomination, say, in March, after Super Tuesday, they're the de facto nominee, it's too late. Trump has spent three years with very smart Facebook, and other ways of targeting the voters in those states. For all you foodies out there, I'm unwrapping a McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel. Ooh, look at this steak. And the juice running down the side. Got a little bit on the wrapper here. Mmm. And then the fluffy egg and real cheese folded over the side looking just so good. Mmm, mmm. Grilled onions and a butter bagel, too. Thumbs up for McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel for breakfast. Love it. Mm. I participate in McDonald's. What is a Fisher house? If I had a chance to talk to the Fisher family, I would start crying because I can't articulate how much it meant to us. The Fisher house is a comfort home for military and veteran families to stay in at no charge. Allowing the family to be together to support their loved one during a medical crisis. It's enough to help you thrive through these hard situations. Go to fisherhouse.org for more info and how you might help. That's fisherhouse.org. Trump's going to get more votes in those states than he got last time, almost definitely. Turnout's going to be up. So he's going to find people who didn't vote for him last time. I take Wisconsin, one of my favorite statistics. There are 600,000 non-college-educated white men in Wisconsin who didn't vote last time. Trump campaign's going to find a lot of those guys and get them to vote this time. And if the Democrats... Uh, you know, Democrats spend all their time, all their money, all their focus 
just thinking about winning the Democratic nomination, by the time they get the Democratic nomination, whether it's in March or July at the convention, they'll never catch up to, to targeting the voters in those battleground states. And, and we've, we've had in the last few election cycles very few states in play, uh, meaning a dozen or so. This time, literally, the election could, could be just those three states. And Trump only needs to win one of those three states if he holds the states he won last time in order to get reelected. Hey. So it's, it's a challenge for the Democrats in those three particular states to, to try to be ready to go for a general election. We heard a lot of discussion in the days leading up to the last election, 2016, um, about how Trump had no ground game whatsoever. I mean, he had no staff. He had no people. Laughable. It was it was laughable. Yeah. Um, how yeah. true was that? It was entirely true. What they had last time, which they have this time with more money and more time to plan, is Facebook and, and, and Twitter and the modern methods of a ground game. Not, not, not physically on the ground, but communicating people where people get their news and information. This time they will have both, and they'll have both in an extraordinarily well-funded way. It is, it is laughable. Uh, uh, what they did last time. Now, the Republican National Committee last time had a bit of a grand game, and they, they did coordinate with the Trump campaign. But the Trump campaign itself was tiny. There was a point in the general election, I don't know if it was true by election day, but there was a point in the general election when Hillary Clinton's staff working on in the Internet was bigger than the entire Trump campaign. Hmm. And, and Brad Parscale, who was Trump's data guy last time and, and kind of a secret weapon, he's in charge of the whole ball of wax now. Is, uh, what do you think of him? Pretty capable guy? He, he is a guy who, who, who has his flaws, like all of us do, but, but, but he understands how to get along with people, and he knows what he doesn't know. And one thing he knows, and he has honed, is how to communicate, particularly on Facebook in the digital space. That's what he did for a living before. So, so people can make fun of him for for not knowing you know everything that Karl Rove knows about politics, but he's <laughs> learned a lot. And 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 what he's done is, and and by Trump choosing him is, they put at the center of the campaign this notion of now having more time and more money by a lot than they did four years ago to figure out how to reach voters, the people who voted last time, persuadable voters. Um, they're targeting African American voters. If Joe Biden's the Democratic nominee. African-American voters are going to be bombarded with information about Biden's support for the crime bill in the 90s that that is extraordinarily unpopular with a lot of African-Americans. And and they'll be targeting those 600,000 white uh, non-college educated males in Wisconsin. So Parscale, if Trump is reelected, the decision to put at the center of the campaign, a guy who understands the digital space will be one of the most important decisions Trump made. The book is How to Beat Trump. Is one of the ways to beat Trump to portray him as a racist? Because that certainly seems to be popular. Um, you know, as I said, most of the people I talked to did not think putting front and center personal attacks against Trump uh, was the right way to go. They were much more focused on his, the impact his policies have on real people. But there's no doubt that, that both parties have to do two things. And sometimes people like to say it's one or the other. It's always both. They both need to energize their base and they need to reach out to persuadable voters. And and there's it is certainly the case that if Donald Trump is called a racist uh, by people, it energizes the Democratic base. So so rhetoric like that will certainly be part of how the Democrats try to win this election, no matter who they nominate. Anybody who's watched a handful of election cycles as an adult is familiar with the idea of, um, you know, tacking way left or right and then coming back to the center for the general. But. 
has the uh, have the left leaning leaning uh, the lefty candidates on the Democratic side gone so far left they're going to find it hard to tack back. I think it's impossible, and most of the people uh, who I talk to for the book worry about this. Uh, you know, uh, just just their three issue positions alone. That, that Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders have, that, that a lot of the Democrats I talk to, even some who are very liberal, think are disqualifying for winning a general election. Supporting uh, single payer and the elimination of all private health insurance for 180 million Americans who have private health insurance now. Decriminalizing the border, saying people can come in uh, without facing criminal penalties, you know, without, without uh, legal status. And giving health insurance and, and health, free health care to people who come in this country illegally. Those three positions alone of the Democrats I talked to said disqualifying. And the Trump campaign knows that. And I'll tell you, you rarely hear Donald Trump talking about those things. The reason is he's saving it for the general election. He's, he's showing unusual for him discipline in, in, in waiting to talk about those things when there is a Democratic nominee. And that is the biggest worry of all that the Democrats have, along with not starting soon enough to think about the general election, which is, disqualifying the Democrats. Disqualifying. That's a heck of a term, George not Bush. just a bump in the road. <laughs> disqualifying. George Bush disqualified John Kerry for a lot of Americans. They made him a flip-flopper, unacceptable. Barack Obama disqualified uh, uh, Mitt Romney by saying he only cared about the rich people in this country, Bain Capital, etc. Bill Clinton disqualified Bob Dole. You go back and look at those three guys, all reelected the year before the election, and look at what the press said about their chances for re-election. Much grimmer than what people say about Trump, despite Trump's low approval rating. Uh, one, year, uh, one year before the general election, uh, 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 when Obama was running for election, the New York Times Magazine ran a cover story titled, Is Obama Toast? And their scientific formula said that Obama's chances for being re-elected were 17%. A year later, he was overwhelmingly re-elected because he disqualified Mitt Romney. Not for everybody, but for enough people that he was able to get reelected. And that is the theory of the case of the Trump campaign. And that is why the Democrats I talked to for how to beat Trump say you can only beat Trump if you are strong enough to survive hundreds of millions of dollars of negative ads, Trump's Twitter feed, Trump's press conferences, in which he will try to do to the Democrat who is nominated what he did to Jeb Bush, what he did to John Kasich, what he did to Chris Christie, what he did to Hillary Clinton, which is destroy them politically Make, make fun them of them un- physically, <laughs> whatever it takes, physically, mentally. I mean, Trump is the master. You know, the single greatest skill you can have as a presidential candidate is the ability to define your opponent on your terms. And that is Donald Trump's single greatest skill. How many uh, persuadables are there in a, in a presidential election? And then especially this one. How, how many people are you talking about that could go either way? Because, you know, most people aren't in that crowd. Well, look. You talk about persuadable voters, and, and normally you're thinking about swing voters, and there are enough to decide the election. Not just the question of are they going to vote for Trump or the Democrat, but also are they going to vote for the Green Party candidate? Are they going to vote for the Libertarian? But then I think of persuadable voters, in addition, as people who need to be persuaded to vote. People who didn't vote four years ago for Trump who might vote for him this time. People who didn't vote for Hillary Clinton who voted for Barack Obama. I mean, the number of people in Wisconsin who voted twice for Barack Obama and then voted for Donald Trump is extraordinary. Those are persuadable voters. So, yes, we have fewer than we used to. Yes, we are more polarized. Yes, there are a lot of people who are out of reach for for one party or the other. But there are plenty of people who will just 
this election who who are up for grabs, either because you got to get them to vote or you got to convince them which side to vote for. What do you make of Mayor Pete's candidacy? Really interesting. You know, look, there are four candidates right now who are positioned to be the nominee. We could see somebody rise up. But right now there are four people who are leading the national polls, the state polls in Iowa, New Hampshire. The other three are in their 70s, Biden and Warren and and Sanders. Uh, He's a young guy. He's a smart guy. He has he's he has captured the imagination of donors, both both the very wealthy fat cat donors who write twenty eight hundred dollar checks, but also people give small amounts on the Internet. He's a military veteran. Uh, which is one of the few in the field who's got military experience. And he talks about a new generation. You look at Democrats who have won, Obama, Clinton, Kennedy. These were younger guys. These were people who talked about, you know, turning the page on, on the leaders of the past. Now, he's got some downsides. He's the mayor of a town of 100,000 people. Um, he's, he is young. He doesn't have very much experience. Uh, the fact that he's gay is a positive for a lot of people, but a lot of people who, who have no personal problem with it worry that that would turn off voters in those in those critical states. So I think that he is he is he, he could easily be the nominee. I think that he would have a hard time winning a general election, but it wouldn't be impossible. And I think that his his, his greatest advantage now is, as I said, he's running against three seventy year olds. And, and for for a lot of voters of all ages, they just don't want a candidate that old. They want someone who's, who's more future-oriented. I'd like to go through all the candidates, actually, with you, but we won't take the, up that much of your time because I'm interested in your opinion. But it's been bubbling up a lot lately. I've come across a lot of long articles and podcasts about bringing back the smoke-filled rooms. And maybe this system is a too much democracy. Maybe we were better <laughs> off when it was about a party platform and then a picking a person to carry out that platform instead of seeing which personality bubbles up and they decide the platform. Well, it's not going to happen, so people may say it might be better, but it's not going to happen. Not with that I, I attitude, think, if you want, Mark. <laughs> Come on, can do. I'm all for smoke, but, but look, the, 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 the Internet has, has democ- and social media has democratized the process even more than it was before. Parties are not nearly as powerful as they once was. Trump is the ultimate manifestation of this, of just pure personality, no, no history with the Republican Party, no fidelity to the Republican Party. And I think I think that's better. I think the upsides of all this are better than the downsides. But it's still going to take if you want to be the Democratic nominee, if you want to be a Democrat elected president. You still have to, you know, you still have to win the delegates. You still have to you still have to participate in Democratic caucuses and primaries. So I don't I don't think that the elites are out of the game entirely, but they are less of less a part of this. And, you know, you look at Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders not taking money from fat cats, not going to. Uh, fundraisers with big donors, unprecedented to have two people in a strong position to be the Democratic nominee who have adopted that posture. That is that is a, a big manifestation of, of what you're talking about. But the the elites, that's not just in the United States. The elites, pretty much all over the Democratic world, have to get used to the fact that. Elites aren't in charge the way they once were, and, and it's not going to go back that the way. The howling mob is, so good luck. The mob. <laughs> the mob is in charge, and, and hopefully, hopefully somebody knows how to organize them. Yeah, no kidding. So, Mark, we have a tradition at the Armstrong and Getty Show that if you make a prediction, you have to bet a finger. Uh, and it's if you're so wrong, easy to make a prediction, and uh, nobody yeah. ever holds you account for it. So. Right, exactly. It's stupid. It's a waste <laughs> of time, and, and you've probably been asked a thousand, ten thousand times to make a prediction. Um, so you I'll, know what Yogi Berra said about predictions? What's that? 
Yogi Berry said predictions are difficult, especially about the future. Yes, those are the worst kind. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll hit you with this then. Um, uh-huh. You can predict anything you want. Oh, no, no. Here's, here's a better idea. If you were offered a $1,000 bet on any of the Democratic candidates at this point, would you throw that $1,000 down or is it just way too unclear at this point? And you don't more, don't name any names if you don't want. Yeah, it, it's it's more unclear than it's been for either party in my career. Uh, I think I think if I had to pick someone today, it'd be Elizabeth Warren. But I don't think she's been tested yet. And I think over the next couple months, she will be tested. And I'm I'm based on how she's performed when she's been pressured, like with her problems with her talking about her Native American heritage. I'm not sure she'll pass that. God, and she's got so. no chance of winning in a general election. I just I can't imagine well, anybody winning who's for health care, free health care for illegals. I just can't imagine that winning. That that is that is the view of Donald Trump and is the view of Nancy Pelosi. And when those two agree, generally, I would think it's probably true. So uh, you're, you're right. And 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 you've got, a, 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 you know, a lot of the leading candidates have that position. So I don't think it's clear who the nominee will be. If I had to pick today, I'd say Elizabeth Warren. But uh, but I, I don't feel strongly about it. I think I think. Uh, I think Sanders and Buttigieg could be the nominee. I've been very down on Biden's candidacy from the beginning, and nothing I've seen has, has caused me to alter that. He still does well in the national polls, but I think I think he's more likely to finish third or fourth or even fifth in Iowa than he is first or second, and wow. I think that'll do a lot of damage to his candidacy. Wow, I'd say. But there there are a lot of crap political books that get written when the, the season is hot and they know they can sell them. This isn't one of them. This is really, really a good book, and I've always really liked your punditry, but we can't let you go without asking you about Hillary. What's a chance she gets in? Her answer the other day sounded so Clinton-esque to me, where she she said, lots of people have been asking me, and I'm not going to rule it out now. Not ruling it out now sounds like a yes to me. She said, and I quote, many, many, many people are pressuring her. Triple many. Yeah. Look. I was struck by that same thing, too. A lot of times people say, oh, a lot of people are asking me to run for, you know, senator or governor or president. And they just, you know, basically their 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 bookkeeper and their daughter is asking them to run. Right. She's being she's being asked by a lot of people. It's the most undercovered story in, in in politics today. The panic that exists in the Democratic Party over the concern that Sanders or Warren or Buttigieg will be the nominee and they'll, and it'll happen in the blink of an eye. One of them will win both Iowa and New Hampshire say, and basically lock things up and the party will be in a panic because they don't think that those people can win. Schumer doesn't think they can win. Pelosi doesn't think they can win. So many of the other, the, the, the donors, so many of the other elected officials. So that's why you see Deval Patrick getting in the race. That's why I see Michael Bloomberg, you know, thinking about getting in the race. And that's why people are saying to Hillary Clinton, look, you can raise the money. You know how to do this. You got more votes than the popular vote last time. You could you could correct the mistakes you made. In, Does she in believe her own lies? Does she believe any of her own lies about it was stolen by Russia or it's about misogyny? Does she recognize uh, she's a bad candidate and people don't like her? <laughs> she 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 I think she believes all those things. She knows she's not a great candidate, but I believe and I think she has some cause to think so that she was hurt by by what Putin did. Without a doubt. But but, uh, you know, I, I, th- I think I've said this before. I think that history is going to show that, that the, what what helped Donald Trump more than anything else was the decision, the misguided and in some ways selfish decisions that Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden made to decide to run for president. Neither of them should have run. 
they both they both were were such obviously manifestly bad presidential candidates. Hillary Clinton allowed Trump to win, and Biden, even if he's not the Democratic nominee, he kept other establishment candidates from getting in the race, allowing Warren and Sanders and Buttigieg to to, to rise up. And now it may be too late for any other establishment candidate to to get into the game, and the party may be left because because of Joe Biden's decision with somebody who can't win a general election because of the, those positions we talked about. Joe, you don't have to do this. Barack Obama. Do right. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to do this. And, and, and he was talked out of it before. And just look at his record. I mean, he ran in, 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 in 2008 and he got 1% in Iowa. And he, he campaigned. 1%? He was well, he <laughs> now was that's well a stat. Known, you know, yeah. and, and so, yeah, you know, I, don't, I, think, I think Barack Obama and Bill Clinton agree with what I said Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer think. These guys can't win. Biden can't win the nomination, and the other three can't win the general. Wow! And, and the party is in is in a huge, huge pickle. I think Biden would have the best chance of the four in a general election, but I'm not sure he'd win a general election either. Mark Alfred, so glad to hear you uh, talking and, and pontificating and analyzing and, and doing what you do the way you do it. Really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, that was great. You guys are very generous. It was great to talk to you, and uh, have a good day. Let's do it again. Thank Thanks. you, Mark. Take care. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. So we've got to uh, we're recording this for the podcast. We got to air some of this on the show because that right there is flipping amazing. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't mean he's right, but he's he's as good as analysts as there is out there. And he's talking to 50 of the best people out there who could also all be wrong. But anyway, he says Biden can't get the nomination. And Bill Clinton, Chuck Schumer, Barack Obama and Nancy Pelosi don't think that either <laughs> Warren, Sanders, or Buttigieg can win. Right. That's incredible. Right. That the is incredible. The only guy who can win is a complete dud. That is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. The most underreported story of the presidential election cycle. I would agree. I would agree. I, 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 I'm not in those circles, um, so I'm not feeling it, but I can absolutely imagine the panic right now. You know, if you were a, a halfwit trying to sound like a smart guy, you might say, well, nobody thought Trump could win, but it's for yeah. different reasons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the Trump himself is tough to take, but his message was very heartland sympathetic, very, you know, very, very traditional it American. Was, yeah, people were saying his personality. your side. People were saying his personality couldn't win. People right. weren't really saying his policies couldn't. Right. Win. He wasn't offering up policies so radical people's jaws drop when they hear them. Yeah, this one is their own party saying these people can't win. Yeah, I've been a Democrat my whole life. You right. can't win with this. Right. Uh, I tell you what. I was as we were discussing, um, Brad Parscale and and the ads and. Uh, how how Trump is sitting on those radical policies. Not He's not talking about them much now. He's saving it for the general. If I'm Brad Parscale, if I'm Donald Trump, I just have a loop. I have, a, you know, half a dozen different ads on a loop of this these people advocating those three horrific ideas that he mentioned. The uh, the open borders, the health care for illegals, and the eliminating all private insurance and turning it to government uh, health care. I just run those over and over again. Donald Trump for president. Uh, I, then I go play golf at Doral. I'm not sure you need to do anything else. Mark Halpern was the only guy on the set of Morning Joe uh, four years ago that would say on a regular basis, no, I think Trump could win. I think he could win. And they would hoot and they'd, at him. I'd laugh at him. What the, look at the New York Times. It's got it 95% to 5. Yeah, that's good stuff right there. Yeah, buddy. 
extra large. For all you foodies out there, I'm unwrapping a McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel. Ooh, look at this steak. And the juice running down the side. Got a little bit on the wrapper here. Mmm. And then the fluffy egg and real cheese folded over the side looking just so good. Mmm. Mmm. Grilled onions and a butter bagel too. Thumbs up for McDonald's steak, egg, and cheese bagel for breakfast. Love it. Mmm. I participate in McDonald's. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.